Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Good to see you. This morning we're going to be reading the Gospel of Thomas. Usually we hear of the four Gospels that are in the books that we bring with us on Sunday morning and we open throughout the week. Does anybody remember the four that we usually use? No? Okay, we'll work on that. Maybe another Sunday we'll go over it a lot, but it starts with Matthew, and then there's Luke is one, John is another, you got one more. It rhymes with, excellent, that's five, but we're going to go with four. So this morning, we're going to read from the Gospel of Thomas, which may be a surprise for you. Two verses from the Gospel of Thomas. Verse three. Jesus said, if your leaders say to you, look, the kingdom is in heaven, then the birds of heaven will precede you. If they say to you, the kingdom is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, Jesus said, the kingdom is inside you and outside of you. And verse 70 Jesus said, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Before I start the sermon, I want to make a little commercial announcement. This summer, this month, you have the opportunity to sing with a group of people. The choir is inviting everybody who wants to, to give it a try. I want to tell you a story about why that is so important to our family. Uh, Our second son, Sam, was always in the band, and he would sing in the shower, and some Sundays, some Saturdays, some Thursdays were better than others as he would sing. But what Linda and I noticed was his voice was growing stronger and stronger and lower and lower and lower, and we realized he had a pretty darn good voice. So the Christmas of 2017, my present that I asked from him was that he would sing in the choir from January to Easter. Just do that for me for my Christmas present. And Sam, who'd always sung in the band, said he didn't know how to read music. Well, it turned out, number one, God bless Clint, it doesn't matter. It's helpful, but it doesn't matter. The second thing was that he did. He had sung in church on Sundays. He had played in the band. He knew more than he thought he knew. And so Sam came to choir, and what he found was a place to belong. What he found 
was a spirit of affirmation, a spirit of generosity and forgiveness in the midst. So I invite everybody, if you're looking for a place to belong in this space and in this place, I invite you to think about giving it a go a Sunday or two and just seeing how it is for you. I found that it's a remarkable place and it is healing for me, not just on Sunday mornings, but Wednesday nights. So thank you for inviting me to preach this morning. I'm very grateful. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God, rock, and redeemer. Amen. So when Beth called me to preach, I don't know, it was a month maybe ago or so, I said I would be delighted. And so I looked up the Sunday in the lectionary, and it was the sixth Sunday of Easter. Surprise, red, white, it all works. I was surprised then two weeks later when Beth said, instead of the lectionary text that you've been studying for the last two weeks, would you mind awfully if you picked a text that isn't in the lectionary? I grew up Methodist. And I went to a Methodist seminary, and it was a doggone good place to go study. But I'm telling you, it wasn't Columbia Seminary. And I am not Presbyterian. And Presbyterians are very wise and smart and very thoughtful about their scripture. So I thought to myself, oh, dear Lord God, what's not in the lectionary, and how do you find it? I'm, not, I'm being honest with you. And so I decided that the first thing that came to mind was the verse that saved me in seminary from the Gospel of Thomas. And so I chose that. There's something comforting about going to the Bible and knowing where you're looking, right? There's something comforting about opening the scriptures to a place that's worn a little bit, to a place that you open often. Verses that we know by heart. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us... Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious or jealous. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for. These verses comfort us. These verses sustain us. It is a surprise. It is a little scary to jump off the diving board into a place we don't know. And yet... That is the ask for the next four Sundays. So you're very brave to come through the door. You're very brave to show up. And we're very grateful that we are all together in it. So a little bit about the Gospel of Thomas. Honestly, I just knew this one verse, the 70th verse. Turns out, in the Gospel of Thomas, there aren't chapters. It's not that big. There are 114 verses. And 80% of them begin with, Jesus said... So it's a very small, small little book. I can't say a canon because it was not brought in to the scriptures. A little interesting thing is, was anybody, without embarrassing anybody, it's just helpful in this next moment, was anybody born in 1945 or preceding that date? Could you raise your hand? Okay, so without singling anybody out, in 1945... The Gospel of Thomas was discovered in a jar in 
Dagnabi, I hope I said it wrong, but uh, Dagnabini, and it was in eastern uh, upper Egypt. And it was found by a shepherd. When was it put there? They think, perhaps, that when they were deciding what would go into the canon, into the scriptures that we know today, they decided they had to just say certain books. They couldn't pick all the things that had been written. They only picked some of them. And so the bishop of the upper Egyptian conference, I don't know what they had, but in 387, I think, I'm making up that number, but it's close. Give or take 10 years. 387, the bishop of the upper, upper Egypt said to all the monasteries, burn all the books that aren't these in your libraries. Get rid of them, destroy them. Even then, monks didn't always follow the rules. And so one or two monks chose 50 of the books that they loved, and they got a huge jar. And they, 387, not 19. 87, not, oh, 387, many years ago, 16th century, something, many years ago, they got these 50 books, one of them, the Gospel of Thomas. They got these 50 books, and they put them in this jar, and they took them out probably in the dead of night. It was during Lent that they did this, the story goes. And they went into the dark, and they buried this jar And for a long time, the Gospel of Thomas was lost. But in your lifetimes, whoever raised your hands, in your lifetimes, this has been discovered. And so we're still learning about it, and we're still wondering about it. And what do we do with a Gospel that we don't know by heart? What do we do with that, and how do we live with that? How is your soul? The question David gave us last week. How is your soul? Is your soul up for a journey to upper Egypt and a jar and a book that folks were afraid of? Maybe you might crack it open today and see what it says. One of the things that was scary about the Gospel of Thomas was that they had four Gospels that they wanted to put into the canon. And in those four Gospels... They, those were written in the first century, and during that time, people were being martyred left and right. And it was a scary, scary time. And what they were living in in the moment was terrifying. And these were young believers. And so the leaders wanted them to have something that they could reach for. This is hard now. This is hard now. This is scary and tough, and you are being beaten, and your friends are being killed. This is hard now. But the kingdom of God is just beyond. The kingdom of God is in heaven. So do what you can and do the best you can and follow follow him, follow God, follow what you know to be true, follow, and when you die, you will go to heaven. Not all the gospels that were written following Jesus' life and death, said that. The Gospel of Thomas, the heart of the Gospel of Thomas is, 
The kingdom of God is within you and without. It's here now. That was tough for the leaders to say if they're getting martyred and they're being killed and life is so, so hard. How is the kingdom of God within me when I am so afraid? How is it? For the Gospel of Thomas and his understanding of Jesus, it was back to the book of Genesis. God created all of us, each one, the one on your left, the one on your right, the one on your left, the one on your right, the one in front of you, front of you, the one behind you, the one you know really well, the one you don't know at all, the stranger on the street, and the one who brings you coffee at the restaurant. Each of us is created in God's image. That was the message of Thomas. That was the thing that was so hard to see and to know. So that's the Gospel of Thomas. I've cracked it open a little bit for you. I want to tell you about this verse that set me free when I was in seminary. I met Linda on the first day of seminary. And when I came from central Illinois, I had a real big plan of what my life was going to be like. And I was going to go back to central Illinois and be a chaplain and work in a hospital and do music therapy. I thought it was a great idea. So far, I hadn't been struck by lightning, so I thought God was in, everything was good, and that was what I was going to do with my life. And the very first day of seminary, I met Linda. And by November, I was in love. Late August, early September, I knew I was in trouble. I I had never been in a relationship with a woman before. I had no idea what it was like to come out as a human being let alone as a United Methodist. If it feels hard now, imagine it back in 1988. Back in 1988, none of us had computers, and we wrote with chalk on the boards. That was 1988. We erased it with those things that you put together and cleaned them up. That was 1988. So imagine the Methodist church then. I didn't know what to do. And somehow, along the way, somebody gave me, or in class we learned... If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And I had the words for my heart, and I had what was true, and I knew that I was loved by God. Because for the Gospel of Thomas, the kingdom is within, it always is. And for us to stuff anything down and to not bring it forward, then we are not living in the way that God created us or meant us to be. If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. That was my hallelujah verse. I think that was also for Sam in getting in the choir. The reason he's not here now is he's singing in the All Saints Choir downtown. He's one of four bases. Not bad, really. You all birthed that, and I am so grateful. If you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. For me and my truth, that set me free. And the world isn't only about me. The world doesn't revolve around me. I live in a community 
and a village and a world that holds me. When Linda and I came out, it was very difficult on our families. It was harder on her family than mine. Uh, Linda grew up Baptist. And so, and there's a lot of oh with that, and most of it is true. Um, but there is a lot of oh, oh, lesbian Baptist, oh. And there is a lot of that. For my parents, what I brought forth didn't immediately seem to save them. My mother, I'll never forget, said to me, Les, that's not what I would wish for you. Linda's family took longer. What do we do? How do we be when what we bring forth is saving us and the ones that we care about around us are lost or hurting, not knowing what to do? What if what we bring forth is a change of jobs and our partner depends on the money that we're currently making? What if what we bring forth is a change of relationship and everything seems different? What if what we bring forth is a change of dream? How do we stay together in it? That, my friend, is probably the question for the ages. That notion of what is the dialogue that happens between the one person being set free and the rest of the people responding and knowing how to be in the world with it. What I said to Sam when I asked for my Christmas present in 2017, and what I say to you all is... There's no other place that I know of for my life than the church. In the church, there is an intergenerational dialogue that happens nowhere else outside, or rarely outside. In the church, we look in the same direction and often share the same words on the page, sung or spoken. In the church, We pray for each other. In the church, we bring meals to one another when we are hurting. Nowhere else does that happen. What I started thinking about this week is the one and the one. The one and the one. The body of Christ. That is who we are. One, one. And if it were only me and mine, I would have had a pretty good life. I would have been able to marry Linda and have a family and live on Fayetteville Road and do really good, mow the yard once a week, buy the groceries. But instead, we chose to live in community and in a village where there's interaction, there is dialogue, there is holding on and letting go every day. There is celebration and there is loss. This is what the body of Christ is. When, I was at, when we were at Candler, 
Jan Richardson was a year behind us, and she became a good friend of ours. And Jan is an amazing writer and a wonderful artist, and she's got the picture up for today. And I, she calls it the best supper. Um, I, as I've been looking at her picture and thinking about it, the truth is, this morning in Gaza, this morning in Nairobi, this morning in Paris, this morning in Helsinki, people gathered around a table. It's not just happening here. It's not just happening in DeKalb County. It's not just happening in Georgia. It is happening all around the world. That we come together and we celebrate around a table. And somehow when we hear the story every time, it holds the death and the resurrection. The words of grief that so many of us around the table are feeling. And the words of hope that so many around the table are celebrating. All of us. I don't think about it often enough that when we come down the aisle to receive the bread and the juice, we are coming with sisters and brothers that are going through who knows what. Who knows what. And yet we come and we share. We share the story. We share the elements. Together we share the hope. And for those of us who have walked the dark night of the soul, there is something amazingly comforting and strengthening about knowing that I can't sing this song, but the sister or brother on my left or right can. I can't pray this prayer today, but the sister and the brother on my right and my left can. Because we hold it together. The table holds us always. So soon and very soon, we will be sharing this table. And we come, some of us, dancing down the aisle because what we have brought forth is saving us. And we come a little bit lost down this aisle because some things are not. That's who we are. That's how we are. And we do it not because we must, but because we may. Our sisters and brothers, there's no way we could know what's the story for each of them. What we do know is faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these 